Well, thank you again um, for everyone that's been here this morning and just amazing time of, of worship, focusing, uh, focusing on Jesus. And, and so thank you, worship team, and, and again, the congregation for, for just allowing those moments. Um, you, you, um, if, if you come around our place, there's, there's worship going on all the time, and there's moments like that. And, and I am definitely one that, that loves just to just soak those times in. And, and so we want to see Holy Spirit, just to continue to move through our worship and, and get us to step out of those, those comfort zones. And um, so thank you for the worship team and, and again, those that just, just were singing, singing out of their hearts this morning. It, it, uh, yeah, it was a powerful time this morning. And as we continue in the book of Philippians, uh, we're going to be taking a look at Philippians chapter 2. Last week, um, <clears throat> Wes, just, he started in, in chapter 1 and then just a little bit of chapter 2. He was talking about unity. And in chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul is going to show us how do we get there? What are some practical handles on this idea of unity? And what, is it, what does it look like in the day-to-day? As we go through our day-to-day, here are some practical steps on how we can remember, how we can facilitate, how we can foster a community of unity. And so, <clears throat> as I was preparing uh, the lesson for this week, I started to look at the magazine titles that are, you know, displayed. Maybe you think of when you go to the grocery store before you're, you know, you're in line, and you just kind of look at all the different headlines. Maybe some of you are kind of maybe more online and, and looking at all this sort of stuff. And it's super easy to see that our culture is self-absorbed, isn't it? Through the magazine headlines that even, or maybe through social media that we're targeted with these things, we are obsessed with ourselves. I know, and as we, as we preach, we often, the, the figure points, right, that my hair is in place, and, and that I got the right sweater, and the G, right, we're, we're looking to, to make an impression, and as I was just looking at some of these magazine titles, I thought I would just read some of them. Winning products for the most amazing skin, hair, and body. I like, score a beach body ASAP. Oh. I know it's felt like summer, but it's going, it's getting colder there. Get a killer body. 38 tips to make you sleek and strong. This one, I, I, I was tempted as well to look, I know. Lose weight while you eat. <laughs> Nine belly shrinking foods. It's like, huh, okay. This one here, this one I think says it all back to my previous point. This was the title. You can be the greatest. That was it. That's all the title said. There was nothing else. No other subtitle, nothing. 22 ways to feel and look younger. And finally, sculpted abs made easy. As you can notice by the headlines that I've just read, there is no headline saying, lay down your life. Live for the benefit of others. We often are seduced with these ideas, these qualities, such as confidence and charisma, but yet they are opposite, polar opposites to humility, aren't they? And so as we dive into chapter 2 of Philippians, we're going to see how Christ provides the ultimate example of humility for us as believers. 
as Paul starts, he, he starts with this idea of being of the same mind. And as, as I was stating earlier, this, the world that we're a part of obsessed with fame, material wealth, getting ahead, and accolades, we as Christians need to embody humility. And let's take a biblical look at what that looks like. So it may be up on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles or, or uh, electronic device, turn to me to Philippians chapter 2, and we are going to go through verses 3 to 11. And what's easy this morning is that's all I'm going to do. Just stick with 3 to 11. Try to keep it in there. Verse 3. I'm reading out of the ESV this morning. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to the interests, not, sorry, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. As we go through this, we're going to see some of these steps, these steps on how unity is possible through humility. As Paul states it right away in verse 3, he talks about this idea of the flesh. And the Bible talks a lot about that. That that our flesh is often motivated by selfish ambition. Much of what we do is not done out of the love for others. But out of our own desires for advancement or promotion. This idea of selfish ambition. I find it interesting how Paul, though all he, although he does talk about it, he does talk about that we do need to look out for ourselves. We do need to care for ourselves. But the big thing is, is we must not forget about others. We can't elevate ourselves and look past the needs of others. Many of you have probably heard this quote from C.S. Lewis. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. We know in our day-to-day interactions that counting others more significant than ourselves doesn't come easy. That we're, we're in a world that, that wants to kind of boastfully share about your own accolades, the, the amount of letters that you have after your name or, or look what I've done or, or those sort of things. Trying to impress others. Maybe the, the, the bank account, what does your bank account look like? What is, what is the car that you drive, the clothes you wear? Yet Paul, again, is trying to get us to focus on the important things. Father Strickland said this, a man may do an immense deal of good if he does not care who gets credit for it. And as we've shared over the last number of weeks, this idea of being the body of Christ, that I have the privilege and honor of getting to stand up here and and share with you, but that's doesn't make me more important in the kingdom of God.
And maybe it sounds like a simple analogy, but I was thinking about possibly putting yourselves in, in this scenario, which I'm sure many of us have deal with maybe on a regular basis. You've had a busy day. Maybe you've had to work extra hours or, or you didn't get any breaks at work and, and you've done all the things that you need to do at the end of your day. You've, maybe you've made the lunches for the day. Maybe you've cleaned up the kitchen. Maybe you've done, again, the work that you need to do and you can finally close your computer and put it away and not think about work. You get on your comfy clothes Maybe jogging pants and, and the, the comfy t-shirt and you sit down on the couch waiting for that, the, your favorite show to kind of just leave the world behind and, and just relax. And as you just sit down and plunk down, just, that, just envision that picture of everyone just going like, ah. Then what happens? For those that are married, you can start to think. For those that have kids, you can start to think. Oh, honey, could you just do this? Or, or your kids come, Daddy, can I have a snack? You just ate. Oh, Daddy, can I have this? Oh, could, could this happen? Could, could that or this? And you get bombarded with all of these things. And, and how many of us do that out of selfish ambition? <laughs> yes, I would love to get off the couch and grab that for you, Right? Trust me, I, we have young kids. It happens all the time. It seems such like a simple example, but again, as I was going through this, it just it reminded me that are we going to put others' interests before the pleasure of our relaxation? Are we going to put the interest before the pleasure of our own relaxation? I believe many of us would agree that pleasure and comfort are pretty big goals in today's lifestyle, isn't it? Things that are difficult or hard, we, we, we tend to see people shy away from those things. We, we want things to come easy, don't we? Am I comfortable? Is, is it easy for me? Then things are going well. But humility is the opposite of you owe me. And it's challenging. Especially as believers in, in relationships, whether it's here at church or whether at work, it's hard to just stop for a moment and, and you owe me. But that's not how it works. That's not how humility works. And we can, we can and, and I'm guilty of this too, getting that even kind of Stephen kind of mentality, right? Okay, well, well, I got to go out for this, an hour, you can go out for an hour, or hey, well, you know what, I did the dishes here, so uh, I should maybe get this in return. And we can tend to keep the, the, the scale in balance, right? Yet Paul is, is asking us something so much different. Reminding us to have this humility. As I was preparing, I came across a story. I'd actually never heard this story before, but I feel like it, there's great impact to this topic of humility. 
On the morning of July 13th, 1982, I almost said who was around there, but I almost, I'm almost, I'm 83, so close, just before I was born. Snow began to fall in the United States capital of Washington, D.C. The snow began to disrupt many of the flights that were leaving the national airport there in Washington, D.C. Throughout the day, planes were getting de-iced. Maybe many of you have obviously experienced that as you fly in Canada for delays where the plane gets de-iced. Many of you probably know that the planes need to be de-iced so that they can function properly. Air Flight, uh, Florida Flight 90 did not receive the proper de-icing solution that they needed to take off. But for some reason, they still, the crew and the pilot, they decided to take off on that snowy morning. And sadly, shortly after takeoff, that plane crashes into the 14th Street Bridge, which goes across the Potomac River. At that time of year in Washington, D.C., that river is almost frozen solid. Arlen Dean Williams Jr. was a passenger aboard Air Florida Flight 90. He was of only six people to survive the crash. As the, as the plane was in the water, the tail of the plane was just above the water. And six people were clinging to the tail of the plane amongst the icy, frozen waters of the Potomac. Because they were in the middle of the river, it took safety crews a while to come up with a plan and a strategy on how to save these six people. Eventually, what takes place is a helicopter, and you can actually see this. They have footage of it that a helicopter goes to the tail of the plane and, and throws down a safety rope. And the six people are able to grab on, but they are only able to grab on one at a time. You watch as the scene depicts one person holding onto the rope and, and getting pulled through the water and, and safely to the bank. The next person to be able to grab the rope rope to safety is Arlen Dean Williams. But do you know what he does? He passes the rope to the next person. They get pulled to safety. The rope, the helicopter comes back. What does he do? He passes the rope again. And he passes it again. Five people are saved because he decided to pass the rope. And sadly, as the helicopter returns for the sixth time, he had sunk beneath the water and he passed away. I found that such a remarkable story of humility. That Arlen continued to pass the rope at 46 years old. He considered the safety and future of others. And what I found remarkable of actual strangers... People he did not know before himself, even though it ended up costing his own life. And he would not know that now I get to share that story of his bravery. That one day he would be celebrated as a hero. 
And, and I found that story challenging to myself, this idea of strangers. And before, I obviously depicted some stories about how we interact with the loved ones in our lives. And sometimes, obviously, that can be challenging. We all know that. But think about people we don't know. Let's even go further. What about the people who are difficult in our lives? That are hard to know and hard to love. The people who, who maybe are on the fringes, who seem unimportant or insignificant, or, or have little to offer, or not a high status. It's challenging, isn't it? That that true look at humility. Are we willing to consider even them before ourselves to keep unity? The message sums up these verses like this. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others to get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. As I was thinking also about verse 4, I, I actually started to think about my work environment. When I started teaching some, maybe around 16 years ago, it often was you were pretty independent and you did stuff on your own. I could come up with lesson plans on my own and, and guess what? You can start to think that you kind of have things figured out. Well, over the last number of years, as I have been teaching, we've actually turned more into a collaborative model. And what's challenging about that is you can, right, if you've started as working in an environment where you think your ideas are all really, really good, and then you now start working in a group, you realize that your ideas aren't always the best ideas. And I often have to bite my tongue and, and push down that pride to say, hey, I really actually do have a good idea. You mean that my ideas aren't always all the best? But if I reflect on that experience, the lesson plans are much better now, because we're working in a team, when we humble ourselves and our team and allow us to work together, it builds unity. And as Christians, our prayer is that we feel this humble sense that, that we owe the service to people rather than them owing us. And obviously, we're going to see that the answer is Christ. He loved us. He died for us, accepted us, justified us, gave us eternal life, made us heirs when we didn't earn it. Ellen G. White says, A Christian reveals true humility by showing the gentleness of Christ, by being always ready to help others, by speaking kind words and performing un selfish acts which elevate and ennoble the most sacred message that has come to our world another story just again just to drive that point home is one time somebody asked martin lloyd jones this question about being humble 
And here is what he said. He says this. He says, there's only one way to be humble, and that is to look into the face of Jesus. You cannot be anything else when you see him. This is the only way. Humility is not something you can create within yourself. Rather, you look at him and you realize who he is and what he has done, and you are humbled. If you are struggling with this idea of humility or self-denial or serving others, like I do as well, we're going to take a look at what Christ did for us. Verses 5 to 11. Humility, its source, Jesus. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Such a powerful, powerful word, isn't it? This piece of scripture is an important one. Obviously, there's many important ones, but, but this one, we actually do need to slow down and break it down just a little bit. Paul makes many pointers. He, he points a lot about the deity of Christ, which is super important. This idea of Christ emptying, emptying himself in verse 7. Now, this can be a confusing part of scripture, so I'm going to break it down slowly. There is, I think, a lot of messages out there with misinterpretation of this part of Scripture. So let's take a look first at that empty. Here, this empty does not mean the Son of God empty himself of his deity in some kind of theological subtraction. So again, God emptied himself of his deity in some kind of theological subtraction. Because sometimes out there, there's this belief that God, uh, Jesus gave that up all so that he could be man. And we need to make it clear. Well, how did Jesus give up his position? Paul gives us two examples. One, taking on the form of a servant. And two, being born in likeness of man. So Jesus did not subtract his deity, but added humi um, humility and became the God-man, both fully God and fully man. 
And in verse eight, the verb humbled is striking because it was frequently used in the reference to slaves and their loss of status. Jesus is the model of our example of servant-minded humility that Paul started asking the Philippians to personify. And as we continue to read verse 8, Christ showed his radical love, how far Christ went for you and I. The ultimate example of humility. Christ did not regard himself above death, even the most cruelest, shameful, and painful death. Many of us know if you look at the history that Romans would publicly display those on the cross to shame them. A Roman historian at the time said this, he said, let the very nature of the cross be far away, not only from body of a Roman citizen, but even from his thoughts, his eyes and his ears. This shows the upside down nature of God's kingdom. The cross was far from the thoughts of Rome, Rome's own citizens, but near to the thoughts of heavenly citizens. Christ was willing to go to such lengths for you and I. Let that sink in this morning. He was literally willing to do anything God asked even if it meant rejection, abuse, torture, he went to the cross. He came and poured out his life for everyone. For the rich, for the poor, for the powerful, for the weak, for the needy, for you and for I. He came for the people who didn't even want him. Yet he followed through on his assignment. A perfect picture of humility. And as we read, because of this, God's response to Christ's humility is that he highly exalted him and that he bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. Why do we sing about Jesus? Because of his name. Why do we glorify Jesus? Because it is the name above every other name. Because he is highly exalted. So when we get excited in worship, declaring the name of Jesus, this is why, friends. Because he is highly exalted, that his name has power. His, his name has authority, doesn't it? And when we're reminded of what he did for us on that cross, we should get excited, shouldn't we? There should be joyful praise coming out. Because of what Christ had done for us. I'm actually going to invite the worship team to come forward. Jesus died for you and I. 
And if you don't know this amazing, humble king, we would love to pray for you. That you have an opportunity to receive. That you can start a relationship with Jesus today. That you can be in relationship with this humble servant that went to the cross for you. A king, a king who came down to earth. Ponder our own history as a people. Do kings come down from from thrones? They don't do that, do they? Sadly, as we look at history, so many kings stay on that throne and they abuse that power, don't they? But Jesus, the king of kings and lord of lords, came down to us. Because he so desperately wants a relationship with you and me. That he was willing to be the sacrificial lamb to have a relationship with us. That's amazing. It's profound. It's humbling, isn't it? It's a huge lesson that we can't skip by quickly. As we ponder this, as we think how low Christ went for us from seated in heaven to being a servant, it should encourage us to be humble. It should encourage us, it should remind us back to those early verses Paul talked about. If we look at a definition of to personify, it is to, rese- uh, it is to represent and to embody. We want to represent and we want to embody Christ, don't we? Amongst us as believers, but not us just here at, at church, but out of these four walls as well. That as we, as we look at ourselves in humility, That Christ's power comes. His authority comes. I'm just going to end with this. We personify the humility of Christ when we put our own selfish agendas, our self-serving desires aside and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. The ultimate example of humility. Humility.